Luke chapter number two, let me just review a bit of what's happened in the Christmas story thus far. So we're, we're really after the birth of Jesus in Luke's gospel, and we have covered a bit of Luke's gospel already with these different songs, Mary's song, Zacharias' song. So here's what's happened thus far, okay? Luke just continues to shine a spotlight on these really unusual events that are happening to tell you as the reader that the birth of Jesus was unique. It was special. It was different. It wasn't just this isolated little miracle with Mary, the end, but he really wants you to see the scope of this. So he starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth, these, these just and devout Israelites who love the Lord. And an angel comes to Zacharias and says, hey, I know you're old, but you're going to have a kid that you've been longing for. And Zacharias is like, no, I'm not. And he's like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you mute for nine months. So Zacharias goes home to Elizabeth the priest, they conceive John, and then the angel, six months later, bounces over to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have a child, and this is going to be the Messiah. He's going to come through the lineage of David. He's going to have a kingdom without end. You're going to have Emmanuel, God with us. You're going to have this child. And Elizabeth immediately, or Mary immediately runs to her cousin Elizabeth, and there, cousin Lizzie sees Mary when Mary's like, hey, Elizabeth, and Elizabeth doesn't know that Mary's pregnant, but she automatically gets this miraculous impression from the Lord and says, you're the mother of my Savior. And, and Mary is a bit, you know, perplexed at this. Like, how in the world would she know this, that, that I'm, you know, just maybe a week pregnant at this point? But Elizabeth knows it, and John leaps in her womb, and Mary's soul magnifies the Lord, and she goes through that song of praise. And then Mary stays with Elizabeth for her last trimester, and Elizabeth gives birth to John, and that's what we looked at last week. There at the naming of, of John, Zacharias, his tongue is loose, and he begins to praise the Lord. And Zacharias says all of the prophecies from the Old Testament, they're all being pulled into Jesus, and they're being fulfilled in Jesus. And John is his forerunner, and Jesus is coming to be the sunrise. It's going to give salvation to our hearts. Then we're going to actually skip the part that we know the best. We know the best that Mary has the child, the shepherds come. And you think about it, how do the shepherds know to come? Well, the angels told her, told them, but that would have been surprising to Mary, right? You just had this child, then all of a sudden, like this herd of shepherds show up to to give worship to your child. Like, she never sent out invitations for the gender reveal party. Like, these people just show up to Bethlehem and worship. So think about Mary's heart. What's going on this whole time? This angel told me, then Elizabeth just miraculously knew, and the miracles surrounding John's birth, and the shepherds show up. And the Lord is going to do something else for Mary and Joseph here 40 days after Jesus is born to really just, just fortify their faith and give them just another measure of this is miraculous. So, Mary, there were three things that you had to do. If you had a firstborn son as a Jewish couple, there were three ceremonies you went through. And Luke actually, I won't read the verses, but he lists these right before Simeon's story. He listed. So at eight days, you would circumcise and name the child. At 30 days, you would, if it was a firstborn son, you would redeem the child. You would buy back your firstborn son for five shekels. This was meant to kind of accentuate the thought that this child belongs to God and is a gift from God, so we're going to buy him back for five shekels. We would kind of do that right now in our baby dedication ceremonies. It's kind of our way in, in our culture now of, of doing that and saying, this child belongs to God. So you would do that, and then at 40 days, if you were a woman and you gave birth to a son, at 40 days, you had to be purified. If you gave birth to a daughter, it was 80 days. So 40 days in, Mary is going to the temple to be for her purification, and this required two sacrifices, a lamb, and then the second sacrifice was a turtle dove or a pigeon. But if you were poor, 
you, you could substitute a turtle dove or a pigeon for a lamb. This is why we know Mary and Joseph were poor, because Luke tells us they offer two turtle doves. They don't offer a lamb, so we know that they didn't have money. And there at the temple, she's intersected by Simeon, this man she's never met, best we know, who scoops up baby Jesus and gives this unbelievable song of praise about him. So I want us to read that entire story. It's 10 verses long. Luke chapter 2, look at verse number 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. It's our job this morning to dissect this passage and to understand what is Simeon saying here in his song. If I asked you before this morning started to list 10 characters in the Christmas story, I would be willing to say that most of you probably would not have written down Simeon. Maybe you would have put Mary, Joseph, of course Jesus, or the wise men, those account for three, you know, four, five, and six, wise men, Maybe shepherds, you know, there four of them. Ten, I'm done. But very few people would list Simeon. But Simeon has actually given a decent piece of press in the Bible, ten verses, to describe what happened 40 days after Jesus is born and is still inside of what we would call the Christmas narrative to give us some really profound truth. And this morning, it's our task to examine this man, his life, and what he said to Mary and Joseph on this fateful day there in, inside of the, the temple courtyard in Jerusalem. And I, I first want to just start by examining the man and his life. We're not given a lot of information about him, but we're given enough to know what he was. And I want you to consider what I would just call the treasure of a godly life. And look at how the Bible describes Simeon. It says this in verse number 25, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. Now stop there for a minute. This is just, best we know, an ordinary dude. Like he's not a priest. He's not an aristocrat. He's not a leader of anyone. He's just a guy, just a man in Jerusalem. And the Bible has a way of doing this, taking shepherds, shepherds who were kind of social outcasts, putting them in the story, taking Simeon. Right after Simeon is a story about Anna, which if you don't know Anna, look at that on your own time. This, this older widow who really would have been at arm's length from society. And it's these people that you wouldn't naturally expect to intersect with the birth of Jesus, but do. So here's this man, maybe you can relate to him, that you think, you know what, I'm just... Joe Blow Christian. I'm just an average, ordinary Christian. You know, I never went to seminary. I never, I don't pastor. I, I don't feel like I'm this big leader inside of the Christian world. Well, that would be Simeon. Just, just this guy, but central to Simeon's spiritual eyesight, we'll find out quickly, is this deep-rooted godliness. And his meeting Jesus Christ at the temple was not 
an anomaly. It was not just a spiritual happenstance. I would, I would submit that this Simeon meeting Jesus at the temple is the summit of his Christ-honoring and godly exemplary life because we're told in, in verse 25, there's four descriptors of this man, Simeon, and we're told that what distinguishes him is not his age or his position or his office, but what distinguishes this man is his deep-rooted godliness. And the Bible says in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and four things about this man. The same man was first just. So Simeon is described as a just man. What this means is that his life was full of God-honoring actions. And most specifically, the actions that were expressed toward other people, that those would have been honoring to the Lord. So Simeon is a man who's known and described for his godly conduct toward other people. But he's just, and he's also listed as devout. So Simeon is a man who's very careful about his religious observances, about keeping the law. It doesn't matter if it's the dietary law or the moral law or the the sacrificial system. Simeon was a man whose faith would have mattered a great deal to him. He would have taken the Bible very seriously. He would have taken what he was supposed to do or not do or the law very, very seriously because he was was a, a devout man. Now, when someone is described, we saw this last week, Zacharias and Elizabeth were described in similar terms, just and devout. When you have an Old Testament character that's described as just and devout, that does not mean that he was a sinless man. What this means is that when Simeon sinned, he would have taken the necessary steps and he would have offered in faith the sacrifice that was necessary to atone for his sin, thereby making him just and devout. But here's a man who's just, he's godly in his conduct towards other people, he's devout, He takes the law of the Lord and the word of God very seriously, but it also says that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. We don't use the word consolation a lot. We would say maybe comfort or solace, but Simeon is a man who's waiting for the comfort of Israel. What what does this mean? Simply put, it means that Simeon took the prophets seriously, and he took the prophecies about the Messiah that was to come very seriously, and he was waiting for that. He was hoping for that. He was banking on that. He, he believed what the Bible said. He believed what the prophets had said about the Messiah that was to come. The rabbis of this day would oftentimes refer to the Messiah as the comforter, that the comforter was going to come after a time of woes. And Simeon knows this, and he's looking forward to this coming Messiah, and, and he's beyond that, he's Holy Spirit-led. The Bible says that Simeon is just, He's devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. This is a man who's deeply influenced and led by the Holy Spirit of God. There was something special about this man that if you were to look at him, you would somehow see the manifestation of the Spirit of God on his life, that he was led by the Spirit. So here's this man, Simeon, who obviously treasures a godly life. A man who, who acts rightly toward other people, a man who keeps the, the word of God and, and believes it and behaves in accordance to it, a man who's banked on the promises of God and his hope is resting in those promises, and a man who's led by the Spirit of God. Inwardly, outwardly, this man would have been a model of what you wanted to do to pursue godliness. And the Bible tells us in verse number 26 that this man, Simeon, it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So somehow, someway, the Lord had had impressed upon this man that he was not going to die until he saw the Messiah, until he saw Christ. 
How exactly that happened, I don't exactly know. But this is what Simeon was holding on to. This leads us to believe, we don't know that Simeon was an old man, but we believe that he was because he was holding on to this hope that he would not die before he sees Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he says, now I can depart in peace, now I can die. Now, maybe he was 30 years old and he said this, I have no idea, but we think that he, he would have been of an older generation. And this man was told by the Lord that he would not see death until he, until he saw the Lord. Now, central to Simeon intersecting with Jesus, central to his spiritual eyesight, inevitably is his walk with God. It's his godly life. It's him treasuring a walk with God and character that is, that is manifest for the Lord himself. Now, Simeon is a man, this is not the main point of today, but I would contend that Simeon is a man that we should look to as a model for how we should live our lives. That we, now thousands of years later, should look at this man and say, you know what? I want to treasure a godly life. I want to treasure holiness. I want to I be just. I want to take the Bible seriously. I want to align my life with Scripture. I want to rest my hope in the promises of God. I want the Holy Spirit to fill me. I would argue that Simeon is a man that we should look to as an example. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture Simeon as I read these words from 2 Peter 3. This is instruction to you and I as modern Christians. And I want you to think of Simeon, this man who was just, godly, devout, who who waited, hoped towards the promises of God and was Holy Spirit filled. I want you to think of him as as I read these words. This is our instruction. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Now, what did Peter just say to us? Peter said, we should be looking forward to the promises of God, waiting on the return of Jesus Christ, waiting on eternity with him, and as such, we should live holy, we should live godly, we should live a just and devout life. What is is Peter saying? Peter could have said this, what manner of persons ought ye to be? Like Simeon. That's, That's what he could have said to us. And I would submit to you this morning that If this is not near and dear to your heart, if this is not a pursuit of your life, it needs to be. You find this by pursuing Jesus first and foremost, but you should have locked inside of your heart this desire of, I want to treasure a godly life. I want to live for the Lord. I want to take his word seriously. I want to be Holy Spirit filled. If if the story was written about you, if you had one verse to describe you as Simeon does, what would the four descriptors be? Would it be just, devout, waiting for the promises of God, Holy Spirit-filled? Would that, could that be used to describe you? If not, then, then what's the problem there? Because there is a problem there. That should be us. This, this is an ordinary man. This is not, here's Simeon, the guy that no one can be like. He's just super Christian, and, you know, good luck being like Simeon one day. No, he's just an ordinary guy. A guy who loved the Lord, who wanted to pursue the Lord, who took godliness and holiness seriously. And if that's, if that's not you, it should be. Perhaps even as I, as I talk this morning, there's something that the Holy Spirit of God is shining a light on in your mind and in your heart and maybe even convicting you of right in these moments. 
I haven't mentioned anything specifically, but perhaps the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you of your lust or of your pornography or of your gambling addiction or your alcohol addiction or your anger or your bitterness or your unforgiving spirit or your your need to control everything, whatever it is. Perhaps there's something in your life that if you were to really examine your heart, you would know, you know what, to pursue and treasure a godly life, I should lay that down. I should repent of that. I should, I should stop. I know I should. The Lord's been after me for a while now, and you, and you know what? I'm just wrestling with it. I wish that you would just shut up, Mark, and that you would just stop talking about it and move on to a different point because I don't, I don't want to think about it. I'm kind of happy with holding on to 10% of my life not being under the control of Jesus. And I would argue from Simeon that that should not be the case. You should treasure, want, pursue, be actively engaging in treasuring a godly life. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We, we all have issues, but maybe there's something that you just need to lay down today. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you need to pick something up. I know I've been there in my own life as I examined and, and tried to confess sin that I thought, I, didn't, I don't see this egregious, I did this that was wrong, but sometimes it's what I didn't do. Sometimes I just look at my heart and I say, Lord, this week, I've just been cold to you. This week I felt like my walk with you was stale. This week I felt I really didn't have a heart to give people the gospel. I really didn't evangelize at all. I didn't try to share Jesus with somebody. Lord, what's, what's the issue there? Forgive me. I don't want that to be my heart. I want to treasure godliness. I want to pursue you. So whether you're putting something down, picking something up, I don't know. But perhaps there's something, would you look at Simeon's life, that it would be a challenge to you. And you would say, you know what, I want that to be my story. I want that to be the descriptors of my life. You should want that to be the case. Here's a man that we're introduced to, and it is apparent from the get-go, he treasures a godly life. But the story continues to unfold, and it says this in verse 27. He came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law— Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Now, I would think that there should be some verses inserted between 27 and 28. Like, here's Simeon, and I don't know how he saw Mary and Joseph. Maybe he just saw them from a distance, and he just knew that's them with the child. Maybe the Holy Spirit did like a little hot-cold game with them, and it was kind of like warmer, warmer, no cold, no cold. And he just kind of got, oh, you're real hot. There they are. I don't know how this took place, but we're told he sees the parents, and then he has Jesus in his arms. Now, that had to have been an awkward conversation, like some way, somehow. We don't see it in the Bible, but inevitably, I don't know if he just walked up and kind of snatched Jesus and was like, ah, you know, I've seen him. I don't know if he walked up and said, hey, I know you don't know me, but I'm Simeon, and, you know, I love the Lord, and your child's special. Can I just hold him for a minute? You know, that's, that's an unusual occurrence, right? Uh, most of you would be aware of this, some of you maybe not, but my wife and I had our third-born child this week on Wednesday morning. Uh, Cruz Honor Likens was introduced to the world. And if a stranger walked up to me and was like, hey, can I hold your baby? I'd be, no, you know, stranger danger, get away from me. You're not, you're not touching him. But here is this stranger that walks in some way, somehow, he gets to a point to where he's holding Jesus in his arms. And this is what Simeon says as he holds baby Jesus. And that would have been cool, right, to hold month-old baby Jesus. Here's what he says, verse number 29. Lord, now let us thy servant depart. Now stop there. What's Simeon saying? Lord, I'm ready to die. Now that's a bold statement. Like it, it makes me step back and think, 
okay, what did you just see that is making you willing to die? What is it that, that you are holding in your arms? Who is it that you're holding in your arms that you could say, let me die? And this is not like the modern, we, we kind of throw up die sometimes in very loose ways, you know, that ice cream is to die for, right? This is not what Simeon is saying. He's literally saying, I can die now. I can, you know, life can be concluded. I'm satisfied. I'm happy. Lord, let me die. What did he see? I would submit to you this. He sees Jesus. Yeah, okay, that's the easy answer. What, what does he see there in Jesus? What is represented in this baby that makes this man say, I'm ready to die? I, w- I would submit this. He sees the measure of the gospel. He sees the gospel in its full scope. He sees what it's supposed to be, and you're going you're gonna to find out that he sees something that is so unique for a first century Jewish man to observe and, and to have the spiritual vision to know who and what Jesus is. And here's what Simeon says, Lord, now let us thou ser- thy servant depart. And he says this, in peace. What's the measure of the gospel? I would say first and foremost, it brings peace. Simeon says, I can die, but not just die. I can die in peace peace. I would tell you, when you hold Jesus, peace comes. When you possess Jesus, peace comes. Not peace for every circumstance of your life, but peace with God. You who are in conflict with God, we who were strangers and enemies of God, we who lived a life not after the Lord, that when we accept Jesus Christ, now sins are forgiven, now we're made a son, we're made a daughter, we're adopted into the family. Peace is, is, is gained with God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And Simeon says, first and foremost, as I hold Jesus, I got peace. I now have peace in my heart. I now have peace in my life. You could say it this way, that when you hold Jesus, mercy is great, grace is free, and peace abounds. And Simeon knows this. He says, Lord, let thy servant depart in peace. But then he says this little phrase at the end of that verse, according to thy word. Simeon has peace, yes, but he knows the measure of the gospel is rooted in the promises of God. Now, I won't dwell long here because we spent all last week practically talking specifically about according to that word, according to the scriptures. If you missed last week, you can go listen to it on the internet and you can get it there. But Simeon is rooted himself in the promises of God. And peace in his life has not come from the absence of problems. Peace in his life has come from the assurance of God's promises. And the same will be true for you. If you want peace in your life, it will never be that you just, I have the absence of problems. I'm problem free. You have problems today, and you'll have problems tomorrow, and you'll have problems the next week, and the next month, and the next year. If you solve the problems you have today, new ones are just going to spring up on you. There's always going to be problems in your life. There's always going to be something you need to fix, something you need to address. And if you treat life as, hey, once I solve my problems, then I'll be happy, then I'll find peace, then I'll have joy. I just got to make my financial situation just a little more stable. I just got to wrestle with these few emotional issues that have been boiling up inside of me for two decades that I haven't solved yet, but I'm going to solve them now, right? I I just got to get a handle on my physical condition, then I'll have peace. It doesn't work that way. There will always be a problem to address. Peace comes from rooting yourself in the promises of God. 
And knowing that I can bank on his word, knowing that what he said is true, knowing that one day eternity is for me and with him, that is where peace is rooted. And Simeon understands this. The measure of the gospel, well, it brings peace. It's rooted in in God's promises, but beyond that, it's characterized by salvation. Look at verse number 30. This is what the choir and Andy and Josh sang about not too long ago. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Simeon holds Jesus. I'm ready to die. I'm at peace according to your word. It came true, God. Your promises, I can bank on them. Mine eyes, now I see your salvation. Now, I've said a lot of things to newborn babies. This week, I've said a lot of things to my newborn son. I've told him that I loved him. I've told him that he was cute. I've made little goo-goo-ga-gas at him. I've prayed with him. You know, I've said a lot of things to that little baby this week. But I did not look at that baby and say, I just see salvation. And that didn't even cross my mind to say to Cruz. Because I don't see salvation there. But Simeon sees the Christ child and he knows by the Holy Spirit of God I am seeing salvation. This is what Jesus literally means. Yeshua means salvation. And Simeon says, I see this. I know this. Now that is a, that is a deep, deep statement for a man to make about this 40-day-old baby. Now we use salvation in a broad way in our vernacular. So we would use salvation all the way to the firefighter, you know, rescued me from the fire and he saved me. We would use it that way. Pretty fitting in light of the Bible, we would also go all the way on this end, and we would say something to the tune of, you know, hey, my in-laws came in for the holidays, and thank the Lord, their flight was on time. That saved me from circling the airport one more time. We use salvation in a very broad way, but when the Bible uses salvation, what it's saying is God, through the work and person of Jesus Christ, is saving us from sin, the devil, and death. And Simeon sees Jesus Christ here in his arms, and he says, I have now seen salvation, salvation from my sin, salvation from the devil, salvation from death. Here it is right in my arms, the good news that Jesus is going to die for us. He, he sees salvation. And this, this should astound us because this is what the Bible's all about. If you were to boil the Bible down to one word, I would contend it would be salvation. This is even the, all the Old Testament stories that we love to celebrate. What do we celebrate about them? We celebrate the salvation of God, don't we? Noah, saved from the flood. Moses and the children of Israel, saved from Pharaoh's hordes in the Red Sea. Daniel, saved from the lions. Jonah, saved by the, the fish or the whale. We, we celebrate salvation in those Old Testament stories. But if you look at salvation, salvation is always God doing something that we cannot do for ourselves. And Simeon would understand this. Simeon would understand that the gospel is characterized by salvation, God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. All of the Old Testament stories, all, all that is happening inside of the Bible is, is not people saying, you know what, I'm going to do some work and I'm going to try to save myself. And Lord, if you could chip in just a little bit, that would really help me out if you could add to salvation and just somehow get me out of this jam. All of it is characterized by, Lord, I cannot do this. 
Lord, I cannot save myself. I'm helpless. And it's God flexing his muscles. It's God saving people that cannot save themselves. And when Simeon says, mine eyes have seen your salvation, that is a deep, profound, impactful statement that he's saying salvation is coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. That the gospel is characterized by this. That yes, it brings peace. And yes, it, it's rooted in his promises. And yes, it's characterized by salvation. But then he says these two verses that would have made any first century Jewish reader step back and say, what? Here's what Simeon says. Look at verse number 31. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon understands the scope of the gospel. Simeon, as a first century Jewish man, understands this salvation is going to lighten the faces of all people. This is going to be a light to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now, you've you, you got to understand, the Jews looked for a Messiah. That wasn't unique to Simeon. But the Jews looking for a Messiah that was going to lighten the Gentiles and, and be for the face of all people, they weren't looking for that. Now, they, they should have been because Isaiah 42 tells us that there was going to be a light that would come to the Gentiles, and that light would, would open the eyes of the blind. That light would release the captives. That light would let people out of their dungeons. But any first century Jewish man or woman, for that matter, would have been looking and saying, you know what, this Messiah is going to deliver us and he's going to squash the Romans. He's going to free us from our oppressors. He's going to, he's going to condemn them. He's going to help us in, in, a, in a strategic military way. No one would have said, he's coming and he's going to give salvation and offer a light to everybody that the Romans who oppress us are going to be grafted in and they're going to be made children of God, that, that the people who are trying to, to hurt us and tax us and the people that are against us, the pagans, that they're going to have salvation offered to them and they can, they can take part of the promises of God. No one would have said that. But Simeon, through the Holy Spirit of God, understands Jesus Christ and says, here, my eyes see your salvation, but I get the scope. I get that there will be Thousands of years later, a whole bunch of Gentiles assembled in a room like Harvest Baptist Church celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ. Simeon understands something that is profound. And I know to us, thousands of years removed, as mostly Gentile in the room, we don't, we don't think about this often, but this is a big deal in the Bible. This is something that the apostles of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, it took them years to wrap their heads around this. They wanted salvation to go, but not to the Gentiles. This is why Paul is persecuted deeply by Christian people. Jewish Christians who, who wanted the gospel to go forward, but not, not the apostle to the Gentiles. No, you, know, you can't do that. But this Simeon understands with a 40-day-old Jesus, the measure of the gospel the gospel brings peace. The gospel is rooted in God's promises. The gospel is characterized by salvation. The gospel, its scope is meant to be to, to globally. And Simeon gets this, and I hope, I hope that that story doesn't get old. I hope that you understand the scope of the gospel. I, here's what it means for you, okay? Let me make this personal. This means for you that you will never, 
meet a person who does not need the good news of Jesus Christ. You, you won't do it. You cannot come across somebody that doesn't need the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why we put the little tracks or the little flyers by all of the doors as you exit, those little racks by the doors that have those pieces of paper in there. Why, why do we put all those in there by the exits? Well, we're trying to get you to take them as you leave. Why are we trying to get you to take them as you leave? Oh, so I'll invite somebody to church. Well, that's kind of the reason, but not really. The real reason is on the back of those, there is the gospel. There's scripture. There's, there's knowledge of how someone could be saved. They could even, there's even a link on our website where they can go and watch some videos about that sort of stuff. We put those there, and we encourage you to take those because we understand this. Everyone we meet needs the gospel. Everyone we, we meet needs the good news of Jesus Christ. That today, when you go out to eat and that waitress or waiter comes to your table, they need the good news of Jesus Christ. This week, when you sit down at your hairdresser or salon or somewhere and someone does your hair, they need the good news of Jesus Christ. If you go into the insurance agent's office and you have a conversation with them, they need the good news of Jesus Christ. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, strangers, doesn't matter. They all need it, so let's give it. Let's understand what Simeon is saying here. The scope goes to everybody. There's peace that's offered there that's rooted in God's promises. It's characterized by salvation. So let's give it away. Let, let's tell other people. Let's, let's be on the aggressive when it comes to evangelizing and sharing the gospel with people. But Simeon doesn't stop there. there there's this treasure of a godly life, and there's this measure of the gospel, but there's a portion to Simeon's song that most people ignore. And here's what the Bible says. Look at verse number 33. Joseph and his mother, Mar not Joseph's mother, Jesus' mother, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And wouldn't you think of what this must have done to Mary's heart to have a stranger walk up and say, I see salvation that's going to be offered to everybody. I'm at peace now. I can die because he holds your child. It's astounding. They marvel at those things. And then Simeon gives them two more verses here. Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Then there's this parenthetical. I'm going to skip the parenthetical. The sign which shall be spoken against, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Then Simeon said this in parentheses to Mary, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. What is... What is Simeon saying here? What, what is he making known to us in the Christmas story? I think he's, he's doing this. He's giving you the pressure of Christianity. This was great news that he just gave to Mary and Joseph. But he doesn't end it there. And he tells them in no uncertain terms that this child is going to create some pressure. And this child is going to create some conflict. And this, this part of Simeon's song is equally important. And this, this part we celebrate as well. It's not just Christmas where it's, it's lights and fluff and peace and happiness. Sure, we love the peace. We love the happiness. We love the joy that's contained in Christmas. But, but on, inside of that peace means that there's some pressure and some conflict. I would say it this way. If a surgeon is to bring peace to your body, how will that surgeon do it? through pain, through blood, through mutilating you. But he knows in the long run that brings peace, even though it's painful. 
And Simeon understands that Jesus is coming with salvation in hand, and Jesus is coming for the peace of people, but he also understands that this is going to create some, some pressure among people, and what Simeon is saying is that Jesus is going to bring about allegiance conflicts, that Jesus is going to call you to allegiance to himself, and that is going to create conflict inside of yourself, and it's going to create conflict outside of yourself amongst other people. And in other words, Simeon is saying in these couple of verses, people will be polarized by Jesus. People will be set against each other by Jesus. He is going to bring pressure among people and within people, and I want us to consider both as we bring the, the plane in for a landing this morning. Simeon says, here's some pressure Jesus is going to create, and he's going to create it among people. Look at verse number 34. He blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is set. When he says set, he means he's, he's destined, he's determined. That Jesus is determined, is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and shall be for a sign which shall be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts shall be revealed. What Simeon is saying in a simple way is that Jesus is going to have a paradoxical effect on people and that there's not going to be neutral ground with Jesus. You're either going to totally accept him or totally reject him. And if you accept him, that will be for rising again. And if you reject him, that will be for your fall and your demise. And Jesus is going to make the thoughts of the heart. He's going to reveal them. He's going to make people consider the inside, and he's going to reveal what has been happening inside of them. Now, this should not surprise us. If you know the Gospels and you know Jesus, you know that Jesus said exactly this in John 3 when he talked to Nicodemus. John 3.16 is the most famous verse in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus goes straightway after that verse into a little section of scripture where Jesus says, I did not come to condemn the world, but the world will be condemned because the light shines in darkness and the darkness doesn't comprehend it. And the darkness, because their deeds are evil, they love darkness rather than light. John 3.18 and 19. Jesus tells them, the light of my life is going to shine on them, and they're not going to like it. They're going to see for the first time that their thoughts and their deeds and their actions are wrong. And that's going to create conflict among people. Not everyone is going to be super receptive to the message of Jesus. Because inherent in the gospel is the message that we cannot do for ourselves something that needs to be done. And we all like to think of ourselves as self-sufficient. Romans 1 tells us that people intuitively, deep down, know that there is a God, but they suppress that knowledge of God and that there's a motor of self-justification deep inside of us that runs. And when someone tries to shut down the motor of self-justification and help us see that we cannot justify ourselves, but we can only be justified through Jesus, and that means repenting of sin, that means confessing, not everyone likes that message. And Simeon is saying, Jesus is going to have a paradoxical effect on people. Understand, Mary, that your child is not going to be received with pomp and circumstance by everybody. Understand there are going to be people that will eventually, he doesn't say it in these words, but they're going to want to kill him. They're going to want to silence him. They're going to want to shut him up. And if you have lived two seconds for Jesus Christ, you know this to be true. Some of you, your biggest hurdle in coming to Jesus and becoming a follower and accepting salvation as the Bible presents it, your biggest hurdle was what is this going to do to those that I love? What is this going to do in my family? 
they're all Catholic and they will understand. They'll think that I joined this cult. They're all atheists. They're all against this. What's good? You, you understand this. Some of you from the get-go, you understood this. That your Christian faith was going to create conflict amongst people. Some of you get this tomorrow when you go to work. You'll understand this. Because you show up for work and you live for Jesus and you love people as you ought to and you do your best to let your light shine and to not cut corners and to show integrity. But what does that do? It shines a light on darkness and it shows those that are cutting the corners, that are trying to be less than ethical in the deal that they just secured. It shows them that they're wrong and they don't like it. You should be able to relate with this if you live for Jesus for any length of time. That there are people... Maybe, maybe it's your neighbor. I don't know. But they're not, they're not all happy about you, you know, living for Jesus. And Simeon says, understand, he's going to create conflict. There's going to be pressure among people. You're, you're not going to be able to look at Jesus and just say, you know what? I'll just lump him in with all the other prophets. He's a good guy. Good for you like Jesus. I kind of like him too. Way to go. No, when you understand who Jesus is, it, it's all or nothing. You, you, can't, you can't just treat him as a, as a good guy. And he says to Mary, the first, honestly, the first note of sorrow in Luke's gospel is understand who Jesus is. Understand what the gospel is. Mine eyes have seen your salvation, but Mary, let me help you understand something. There's going to be conflict here. But not just conflict amongst people. I would even say conflict within people. He looks at Mary, and he says, Mary, a sword is going to pierce your own soul also. In the Greek, there's two words for sword. There's ordinary, everyday sword, and then there's really big sword. He uses the term, the, the Greek word for really big sword. Simeon looks at Mary and says, Mary, you're going to get stabbed in the soul with a really big sword. That seems like a strange Christmas message, does it not? <laughs> Here we are in Christmas celebrating songs of the season. It's great. Peace on earth, goodwill to men, the gospel, it's awesome. Mary, you're getting stabbed in the soul. Understand that. That's what he says. What does that mean? Mary, you're going to get stabbed. Like that had to have set her teeth on edge a little bit, right? I think there's, there's several things that it means, but inevitably it meant that Mary was pierced in the soul when she saw the death of her own son. John records this in his gospel. That there on the cross, Jesus says to John, John, behold thy mother, mother, behold thy son, um, you take care of her now. We know Mary was at the cross. So on top of the, the excruciating pain that it must have been to see Jesus suffer, that all the disciples would have went through, to think that all of our hopes and dreams are being dashed, and, and they're all, it's, it's all sad, it's, it's all being undone right before us. On top of that, Mary would have had compounded the fact that this is my child who I gave birth to dying. This is, I'm, I have to watch my child die before I die. So Mary certainly was pierced through the soul there, but I would contend it goes deeper than that. I would contend that Mary had to wrestle with the message of Jesus just as much as anybody else did. We mentioned in Mary's song that Mary is an extraordinary woman presented in the Bible, but Mary is not a sinless woman. If you doubt that, look at Mark 3. I won't read it for sake of time this morning, but Mark 3 tells a story of Jesus teaching and Jesus' mother and brethren come to him and they try to make him stop. And they try to bring him home. 
And say, Jesus, stop all this. And if you look at verse 21 of Mark 3, it says that the, the mother and brethren thought he was, he was without himself. He was crazy. Early on in Jesus' ministry, Mary goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, stop. And if you look at that passage, Jesus is teaching the people, and the people stop Jesus. And they say, Jesus, hold on, your mother and your brethren are without. They're trying to get your attention. And Jesus looks at them and says, my mother and my brethren are those who heed my word and follow me. Now think if you're Mary and you're standing outside of that group and you hear those words. Mary's trying, Jesus, come over here. I, I want to talk to you for a second. I want to I, I I have a conversation with you. And Jesus says, no, my, my mother's the people that follow me. Get. Nope. I didn't listen to that. You know what would have done inside of that woman? If you're a mother, you know what that would have done inside of you. And Mary had conflict within herself. She had to wrestle with the message of Jesus. She didn't get it completely. She had to come to faith herself, really. And Jesus, or Simeon says, Jesus is going to create pressure. Now, even if you're a Christian, you know that to be true. You know even after your salvation, there have been moments where you've had to wrestle and you've had to, you've had to try to navigate what this means or what's happening in my life. And, and you've, you've found a new passage of Scripture that challenged you and, and it set you back and it seemed, it seemed repressive to you that you didn't want to obey and you didn't want to put your life in line with. And Jesus has challenged you on the inside over and over and over again. I know he's done that in my life. And Simeon says, understand Christmas is beautiful. When I have Jesus, I see the measure of the gospel that's vast and wide and is beautiful and it brings peace. But I also understand who Jesus is. Jesus is going to create conflict among and within people. Now I'll say this and I'll be done. That does not give you a hall pass to be rude and ignorant. Okay? This does not mean, well, Jesus be, brings conflict, so I'm just going to be crazy to people and, you know, try to slap them around all the time. That's not what it means. But it does mean this. All those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It does mean that if you let your light shine, darkness won't like the light all the time. It does mean that when people are illuminated to their sin, that they will oftentimes want to treat you poorly because of that, because it makes them look bad. So what are we to do? Shrink away from the pressure? No. What if Mary would have shrunk away from the pressure? I would even say this. What if Jesus would have shrunk away from the pressure? Where would we be? Our job as Christians is to understand the beauty of the gospel, but to understand that that's not always popular. There's a lot of martyrs through church history that have died because of the gospel. It may, it may cause you some hurt and some pain as well. But it's our job to, part of the Christmas story is to understand that. To celebrate that, to embrace that, not shy away from it. But to say, you know what? He's worth it. He's done so much for me. He's worth it. And if there's something right now inside of you uh, just going on that you're trying to wrestle with the scripture, submit to it. Let him have his way. If there's something that's going on externally and you feel persecuted or conflict with other people, understand, just keep living for Jesus. Don't lay down and die. Don't, don't, don't stop shining your light. Keep living for him. And understand that the gospel inevitably means that conflict comes. That's Simeon's song. A man who treasured a godly life, who saw the measure of the gospel right in front of his eyes and says that pressure is going to come because of Christianity. I hope that we can embrace that this morning. Let's pray.